This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 509 with Jennifer Littner. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in this episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 509. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Mamas, before we dive in today, just a heads up that we are talking about sex, sexuality, sex education, all the goodies around that today. And I wanted to give you a heads up in case you wanted to listen to this privately or, you know, make decisions around whose ears you wanted to have around this conversation. So there you go. There's your warning. And now let me tell you about our fabulous guest Jennifer Littner. So Jennifer Littner has over a decade of experience working, studying, and teaching in the field of sexual health with a specialization in sex therapy, sexuality education, and helping people thrive in their intimate relationships. Jennifer is a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexuality educator whose passion is helping couples, individuals, and families navigate sexual concerns. She's a clinical fellow of the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, a certified member of the American Association for Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and a member of the Society for Sex Therapy and Research. In addition to her clinical practice, she earned a master's of education and is currently pursuing a doctorate degree in human sexuality studies at Widener University with an emphasis in human sexuality education. She's an adjunct professor at Adler University in the Department of Counseling and Couples and Family Therapy, where she teaches master level and doctoral students. Jennifer empowers individuals to make healthy choices around sexuality by providing them with accurate sexual health information. So she's coming on the show today to talk about how we can talk to our kids about sex, sexual health, gender, gender identity. This is a great conversation. So many nuggets in here that I know are going to be helpful. You will hear me learning right along with you as we navigate this conversation. I had a lot of fun with it. I asked some questions because, you know, I like to like make it all about me every now and then. I was like, oh, so what do you think I should tell my eight-year-old about this? So, you know, stay tuned. It's like equal parts (laughs) therapy for you and for me. On top of that, Jennifer's going to talk a little bit about her program. She has this fabulous course for parents that is all about 
talking to your kids about the birds and the bees. So it's called Building Ease, Talking About the Birds and the Bees. And it's a six part, six piece curriculum online program that you can get from her. And it has six different lessons around how to be a proactive parent, how to embrace a sex positive view, explaining sexual behaviors to your children, affirming gender and sexual diversity, communicating consent and boundaries, and navigating internet safety and pornography. Lots of good stuff in there, right? And she's providing a great little deal and discount for our listeners. So stay tuned. We'll talk about that at the end. This is a good conversation. We're going to dive into lots of good stuff here. So let me tell you what you're going to hear. Jennifer is going to share with us where caregivers can begin when they want to talk to their children about sexuality. She'll also share how to talk to your kids about touch and hugs at an early age. She's going to share research-based myths and truths about having the talk with your kids. She will talk about how to talk to your kids about sex in a developmentally appropriate way. She'll break this down by age groups. She's going to share what it means to be sex positive and how you can be a sex positive caregiver. We'll go through how to talk to your kids about gender identity and gender expression. She will give examples of shaming and sex negative messaging and the harm perpetrated in shameful messaging. She'll talk about the intersection of conversations around pleasure and privacy. She's going to talk about how to be warm and neutral in conversations around sexuality with your kids and why this is really, really important. And she's going to share how to create a sex positive home for your kids, even if you had a sex negative upbringing. So like I said, lots of nuggets in here. (laughs) Get prepared to take some notes. You're going to learn a few things. And I'm so excited, so honored and very eager to dive into this conversation. So with all that said, let's welcome Jennifer Lintner to the Shameless Mom Academy. Jennifer, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I'm grateful to be here. This is going to be fun because talking about sex can totally be fun, right? And talking to our kids about sex can totally be fun. Yes, yes, it totally can. So tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Ooh, okay. So a couple things. One is I'm working on my dissertation at the moment. So I'm in a full-time PhD program and I do this outside of my everything, my bio, but I've been working on a study that is looking at the impact of comprehensive sex ed on relationship satisfaction and basically does teaching young people and students and emerging adults about comprehensive sexuality information, help them improve their relationships. So that's been a pretty decent sized project I've been working on now for um, the past several months and will be for the next year or so. So that's kind of one exciting thing. That's like a major life thing, like preparing for a dissertation. (laughs) It totally is. I told uh, my partner and some like extended family members, I was like, you know, probably won't see you except for major events for the next year, not too often at least. And, you know, then COVID happened. So it all kind of threw another (laughs) wrench in all of this. So Totally. uh, Yeah, it's definitely consuming, but, you know, something that I'm excited about and hope it will, you know, result in some, in some positive changes in our world. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. So I want you to tell us a little bit about building ease. And this is what you talk about. You have a course around building ease and talking to kids, families, teens, younger children, all this around the birds and the bees. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about what led you into this? Because this is, there's not many people who are like, I think when I grow up, I want to be a sex educator. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. It's true. And it's also, I'm seeing it shift to where people are now interested in really this career path because there are more of us out there. So I'm also seeing it shift now where people are contacting me every now and then and asking, you know, how do I get into this line of work? So totally, definitely really common, you know, when I was, or less common that, you know, when I was studying early in my career, but now it's a little bit more common too. Yeah. So what led me to create the Building Ease course and get into this work? I've been doing sexuality related work for the past little over 10 years now and worked in a variety of different capacities, public health settings, doing health education, facilitating workshops. I also have clinical experience. So I do sex therapy and relationship therapy with individual adults and couples. So I've had a lot of different kind of toes in the water, so to speak, within the field. And I've just found so many parents would come to me 
and say, you know, I'm raising my young person and I'm feeling really stuck around this particular issue and whether it be, you know, about, you know, what is the birds and the bees actually, right, which is like the euphemism for sex in a lot of ways, or is it like about consensual touch and, you know, healthy relationships and feeling so stuck and unsure about what to say, how to say it, when's the right time, and not quite sure which resources are you know, validated or helpful. And so really, I thought, well, there's got to be something that I can do to help folks other than just, you know, help have conversations with them. So I created a curriculum that we, I'm in Chicago, and I ended up pitching it to the Health and Wellness Committee at Chicago Public School Systems, and they approved it. It's a curriculum for parents and then essentially adapted that into a virtual format so that caregivers don't have to worry about, you know, scheduling a time when they can come to an event because we all know that our schedules are so busy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that's the short intro part. I love it. I think that's great, first of all, the course. And I also think like, maybe you were ahead of your time with COVID too. Yeah. (laughs) To your point about like, people don't want to, you know, a year ago, we were like, well, I don't want to have like another evening class or whatever thing to go to, to support my family or support us through this certain thing or having extra appointments seem burdensome. Now you're like, well, now we just can't have (laughs) extra appointments in many places. And so this is great that you can have this information available and available online and consumable across, you know, without geographic boundaries, I think is so significant and so important. Yeah. And it's one of the things I'm really grateful for as an educator. I don't, I'm not limited to certain restrictions around licensure and things like that. So I really want this to be a tool that can be accessible to a variety of families. So, you know, whether it's a single parent household, multiple caregivers in the household, we've really tried to center inclusivity within the course and just like intersectional identities as well. So that's been really important to me. That actually is something that really jumped out in your bio around inclusivity and shame-free, anti-oppressive, scientifically accurate, like all these things where I was like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) These are totally the opposite of how I was born in 1975, how my generation was raised around sex education and the generation before me as well. Like it was totally like non-inclusive, full of shame, pretty oppressive, and not always (laughs) science-based. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting, you know, as I'm doing more literature review for my own dissertation, I'm learning how many people, specifically educators, are not feeling prepared to teach sexuality education curricula. So, you know, you might have an amazing curriculum, but if the teacher does not want to facilitate it, their own values get in the way, they think that they're really uncomfortable, all of those things can really impact how that curriculum is going to be taught and those students' experiences. So it's much more than just having, you know, the best curricula out there. You also have to have instructors who are well-trained and also appropriate for that as a fit for teaching that. So it's not surprising, and I hate to hear that these are, you know, your experiences and so many other people's experiences, but it's also not surprising given what we know about facilitators not being feeling comfortable or trained. And then there's all these other difficulties with like socio-political influences as well. So yeah, there's a lot there. (laughs) Yeah, yes, so much. So where can caregivers begin if they want to talk to their children about sexuality? It's a great question. I think, first of all, every child is going to be different in terms of what they already know. And I think it can be really helpful to understand Where is your child learning about sexuality, relationships, consent, their health, their bodies, and what have they already learned thus far? Relating it to conversations that are happening at the dinner table or while they're watching TV or reading a book can be helpful because if there's something that's going on in their lives, then they'll be able to relate it. So I always say to start with smaller details. You know, a really good example that a lot of educators are talking about now are pertaining to holidays which are coming up and oftentimes, maybe not so much during the the pandemic, but in oftentimes around holidays, there's a lot of family members gathering together. And during those times, there's often lots of hugging or touching that can occur. So even having conversations about physical touch and bodily um, autonomy and being able to say, you know, you don't have to give somebody a hug if you don't feel up for it, being able to teach your children to be able to ask others before touching them, you know, is it okay if I give you a hug? You know, I think 
some of us are modeling that more during the pandemic than we ever have been around physical boundaries. But this is a really important thing to teach children, you know, as young as they're able to give hugs and know what hugs are, because it's something that's so common in their families. And it helps them learn about their physical bodies and their physical bodies being their own and them being in charge of it. So that's one example that I think is really helpful to start with, and also relevant to the time and where we are right now. Yeah, I think that's a great example of family gatherings. And as we approach holidays and times like that. And this reminds me of an example, which I've shared before on the show, but it's I haven't shared it in a while because it happened a, wh- a long time ago. But my my son, so my son's eight. And when he was in preschool, he was, I think, around three. The woman who worked in the kitchen at his preschool, who we adored, she was just so kind and sweet and loving to him. And my son would have these really hard drop offs in the morning and his classroom was right by the kitchen and she would hear him crying. And she'd be like, come over here and give me a hug and I'll give you a special snack. And there was this like exchange and he never wanted to give her a hug. He was not someone who wanted to hug anyone outside of my husband and me typically. And but there was always this offer of like, I'll give you the special snack and you give me a hug. And I and she was just a lot for him. And I always was like, you don't have to hug her if you don't want to. You don't have to. And I think she thought I was like, not very kind, because she was just trying to be loving. And also, I wanted him to know at a really young age, especially when he felt so emotionally vulnerable during these morning drop offs, the last thing you have to go do is hug the lunch lady. (laughs) And so for like two years, she would do this happened all the time. And I would always say, you don't have to, you don't have to. And then finally, after two years, he decided that he wanted to give her a high five sometimes. That was like as far as it ever went. But it was him making that choice. And I know she thought that I was weird and neurotic probably, but I didn't care. Like I wasn't, that wasn't what it was about. Yeah. And it's, I think it's really important that, you know, you taught your son to be able to make his own decision around that because, you know, that hopefully that will follow him as he kind of negotiates and thinks about what other types of physical exchanges of touch that he is open to. And, you know, I know that it can sometimes feel a little bit less popular to approach these kinds of interactions in this way, especially if you grew up in a family where, hugs or touching in certain physical affection is expected. But it's also really important to recognize like if we always expect that we have to give something in a transactional way to somebody, right, that can also impact us psychologically in a negative way. So I think, I mean, I'm proud listening to you and your story. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. And I mean, this was because I mean, this had been on my radar. Like I luckily like read some research at the right time, right when this was about to happen. Because otherwise, I probably would have been like, go be nice. And, you know, like I just it happened to be on my radar right around the time this all started. And I think I'm so lucky and grateful that that all coincided. Oh, I was just going to say the other thing that it was it makes me think about is the meaning of physical touch and talking with kids about, you know, she were saying the lunch lady was trying to express feelings of trying to be loving, right? And there are lots of ways to be loving and kind and right, being nice. And I think that sometimes physical touch, like a hug, uh, gets chalked up to that's how you be nice. And there are other ways to do that. And so even we know there's a concept out there in often in the therapy world called love languages, right? So we have different ways of expressing love. And I think with children, they can start to understand, like, there's a lot of what are some other ways that you might show kindness, that you might show that you care, that you might show that you love somebody. And it doesn't always have to be physical touch, especially if that's not about like where you're at right now. So that could also be a good learning opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So my son, like I said, is about or he is eight and he's approaching that like having the talk kind of age and we've been having variations of the talk in quotes for quite a while now but I'm curious and we can talk more about that's helpful to you and to use me as an example or to have some context in this conversation but can you talk about some common myths about the talk and having the talk with your kids yes yes so I think a couple things stick out. Um, the more common ones that I hear are, well, if I tell my kids about sex, that they're going to be sexual at an earlier age, or they're going to want to be sexual before they're ready. 
we know that this is often myth and it's really not true in terms of what the research says. There's been a lot of research that suggests that teaching children about sexuality in a developmentally appropriate way has really helped them make decisions about their sexual lives in a way that feels good to them and sexually delayed sexual debut, which is the research term for first sexual encounter. So, you know, we know that there's quite a bit of research that is kind of countering that. And that's really often not true. It is really important to talk to children about sexuality in a developmentally appropriate way. And so this is where, you know, starting with less instead of telling them more, understanding, you know, depending on where they are and in their development is in really taking that into account before looking at resources or incorporating certain information can be helpful. That makes a lot of sense. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earnin today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where, as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. And so... Can we, let's use the age of eight as an example. And can you give an example of like what would be a developmentally appropriate at eight, maybe an even like you could, if you want to do like five, eight and 10 or 12 or something, just to give a couple different examples of contextually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So typically I go off of like developmental stage and grade level. So is there, which grade is your son in at the moment? Second grade. Second grade. Okay. So in grades one through three, roughly, we talk a that is a really good time to start talking about the range of gender identities, gender expression, and the prevalence of gender roles and stereotypes and things like that. Also talking about the different types of relationships and friendships, because that's a time when there's a lot of the friendships are really starting to blossom a bit more. And people are kind of sometimes having relational, like there might be like little conflicts 
groups or, you know, having playdates and setting those kinds of things up are more common there. So that would be an appropriate topic to talk about as they're entering into grades three through five. So a little bit older. Um, That's when having conversations about bodies and puberty is really good, really explaining sort of physical changes, emotional changes, social changes that are going to occur. And at eight years old, they're in second. So you can start that at the end of grade two, three as well. My eight-year-old keeps telling me he's in puberty, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I'm like, you're getting so tall. He's like, mom, it's because I'm in puberty. Yes. (laughs) I don't even know where he got this, where he started, but... So yeah, so we're ready to start that conversation. Yes, yes. So bodies and puberty are great, right? Talking about, you know, like, what does puberty mean? Like, what do you know about puberty? Tell me a little bit about where you heard that, right? Those kinds of things are good. And just, you know, even like the science behind it, right? Like growing pains are a common thing that occur during puberty because or ephesial plates are going to be open for a certain amount of time and they close. And then that causes some pain when the body's growing, right? So even talking about things like that, and like sometimes, you know, people will experience some soreness or some muscle fatigue during this time. And that's okay. It's normal, right? Like those kinds of things. And then being more specific um, in grades three through five, that's when a lot of students are really entering So understanding the role of hormones, the emergence of sexual and romantic feelings, crushes, attraction to others, and also really important to talk about privacy and boundaries within the home and also outside of the home as well. I appreciate those distinctions between those age groups. That's super helpful. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about... Not to make this my very own appointment with you, but I'm curious because you just brought up something that is interesting to me. So boundaries in the home and what are your thoughts on ages or what is the research around ages and how privacy evolves in the household? Mm-hmm. So like our, in our family, we have this weird upper upstairs master bedroom bathroom situation, which is basically a Jack and Jill bathroom situation. Mm-hmm. And we've had kind of like no boundaries around. It. I'm like at some point that probably needs to shift, but I don't know. We're all comfortable with it. It seems to be working right now. I'm curious, how do you know when it's no longer appropriate for everyone to be running around naked together? Yeah. Well, I think part of this stems from family values and what feels comfortable for you and your family. There's no one size fits all answer in terms of, okay, well, as soon as your kid is nine, you have to stop running around naked. But I think being able to talk about when does it start to feel less comfortable and really like tuning into how this feels emotionally for everybody is important. And then also understanding what privacy is and how to use that. So if let's say, um, usually it's around the time the puberty is happening. So let's say eight, nine, 10 is sort of when that's generally starting on average. So, you know, at some point, I think it's okay to say, you know, you might not feel as comfortable being um, taking your clothes off or being in the nude around me or around other family members. And if that starts to if that starts to feel that way, you know, let's talk about it and we'll figure out some other ways to, you know, some other solutions or something like that. So that might be another way of kind of putting the caveat out there. And again, it, it lets the kid know that they can come to you and talk about that. Because I think sometimes kids feel afraid that their boundaries wouldn't be respected or they don't really know how to talk about that. And so that sort of sets the tone for that conversation. That makes a lot of sense. And I've always had this thought around normalizing all body types. And so I thought like it's important for a little boy to see just like an average middle-aged woman's mom's body (laughs) Mm -hmm. versus like what you would see on Instagram. Yep. (laughs) And so I think that's led us to just be like really open and comfortable around (laughs) nudity in our house. But recently, I'm like, oh, there is going to be a time where this will be really weird and no longer appropriate. And we're probably getting closer to that than I realize. And so that was super helpful and super informative. I appreciate that. Yeah. And again, I think, you know, just tuning into where you're at and also where your family is at and not just you personally, Sarah, but anyone who's listening here, because again, some a child at seven may feel this way and another child that may be at 10. And I think really it's important to again, tune into where they're at and just have this conversation within your family structure. I love it. What does it mean to be sex positive? And what are some ways to be a sex positive caregiver? 
great question. So sex positivity comes from a sexual rights perspective that values sexuality across the lifespan and the unique ways that sexual expression can show up. So thinking about not only what we're doing with our bodies, but also how we identify, whether it be our gender identity, our sexual or relational orientation, our gender expression, etc. And so sex positivity is affirming our sexual behaviors, our expression, our identities throughout our whole lives and recognizing that being sexual is a lifelong and healthy part of life for wherever we exist on the spectrum of sexuality. So that's sort of in a nutshell what sex positivity means. Um, You might hear this used a lot when talking about different types of educational programs. You might hear it when certain providers in the mental health or the healthcare industry talking about how they identify. And so that's a common term. That's super helpful and super interesting. And would that include, and I don't, I'll let you enlighten us. So, because I think that there's like talking about sex and having openness around that, mm-hmm. sex and sexuality. But um, you also mentioned a little bit ago gender and so like gender and sexual orientation. And how do we incorporate that all into it? And really, at least in my case, want to inc- focus on inclusivity around all of that? Is that is mm-hmm. conversations around gender and sexual identity also part of sex positivity? Yeah. So being sex positive means that we understand that one's sex and one's gender are like that there's diversity within that, right? So there's not just a binary where you're male and you're female. Like there are people that are neither male or female or who, and also people who identify in a wide range of gender identities. So thinking about the diversity within the world, it just means that we understand that and we embrace that there's diversity around us. And that goes for really any part of sexuality. So whether we're talking about who we love, how we want to be seen in the world, who we feel close to or attracted to. And again, many of these things are not things that we can see on another person. They're things that are understood through the people that we are close to or understand and like know and have relationships with in the world. But it's just recognizing that these behaviors and expressions and identities are all valid and part of us as human beings. This episode is brought to you by my very own 2021 plan and prep pajama party. And okay, I have to tell you a little story and maybe this will be relatable to you. I was really frustrated at the end of 2020 and not because of anything related to 2020 per se, but because I felt like all around me, every time I got on social media and every time I got into my inbox, I saw people who were like, here's my goals for 2021. Here's my word of the year. I can't wait to get started. And I was watching this thinking like, who are you people that have time in the middle of your kids' winter break to be dreaming about the new year? I'm just trying to survive by providing 1 million activities for my child to do every day and making him snacks every 30 minutes. Like that's all I'm doing. I don't have moments peace to be planning for 2021, let alone process all the things that happened in 2020. So if you're like me and you were feeling some of that and you were feeling like you were 17 steps behind the new year before we even started the new year, I get it. I'm with you. I've been there. And that's not a good feeling. So I want you to know that you are not behind. You do not need to feel ready for this new year. You do not need to feel prepared. Preparing for the new year, embracing the new year, and setting goals and dreams for the new year can be a gradual process that can happen over the course of a handful of weeks or maybe even the first couple months of this year. That is completely okay. Here's what I know. I know what really, really helps is to have a designated time to sit and dream. And that sounds, that might sound a little goofy to say like, I'm going to schedule time to dream. But I'm telling you, if your life is busy and hectic and chaotic, you need to schedule time to dream. And this is actually a really valuable lesson I learned from a mentor a few years ago. And she said to me, she's like, Sarah, you don't have any time to dream. You need to schedule time to dream. So I'm hosting my 2021 plan and prep pajama party on January 17th. And I want you to join me. This is the third annual plan and prep pajama party. And we'll be meeting from 8 to 11 a.m. Pacific. That's 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern. And we will be sitting down and I will be guiding you through a process which will allow you to process 2020 as well as plan for 2021 in a way that feels simple yet strategic in a way that really honors everything that we've gone through in 2020 and really gives you the power to honor who you are becoming in 2021. This will be a powerful process 
that will leave you feeling excited and lit up about what's to come. And I know excited and lit up are not things that we feel easily these days, right? So I'm inviting you to join me because I know that this process of sitting down with a group of women and being guided by a professional, by a coach, by someone who can give you some really specific steps to take in planning a new year will bring you peace and ease and joy in a way that you maybe can't even imagine right now. So if you're in that place of feeling like you're already behind for the new year, I promise you're not. You're not behind. You were just right where you need to be. And together we will sit down and we will plan out your 2021 so that you can feel like you have some power, like you have some control, like you have some hope. And definitely like you are going to create and curate tons of joy in the new year. So if you think that's what you might need right now, go over to shamelessmom.com slash pajama party. That's shamelessmom.com slash pajama party and get yourself signed up. There's only a couple more days to register. I don't want you to miss out on this. I want to see you on January 17th, where we have that designated time to dream, to build, to create action plans that feel authentic to who we are and to where we're going and to who we are becoming. So go to shamelessmom.com slash pajama party to get signed up. And how is there an age that we should be talking about bringing up? And because this is like you said, this is not always seen. Yeah. Is there an age that we should start talking about gender identity? Because I think for a lot of us, this is I'm sure for you, this is not new on your radar, Mm -hmm. but, and I live in Seattle, so super liberal area. So this is not new on my radar, but many people are like at the very beginning of their kind of openness and understanding around this huge spectrum of gender identity. So can you speak to how we integrate conversations around that with children and at what age that's appropriate to start talking about? Sure. Yeah. I think that as soon as a child is really starting to learn to read, really grade one at the end of kindergarten, that's when I would start talking about gender identity. Children have a sense of their gender identities generally around that period of time. It it can evolve, we know, but that's a really good time. So grades one through three is when I would be having those conversations if you haven't already. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. I know you asked also about ways to be sex positive as a caregiver, and I'm happy to speak to that. I don't want to forget. Thank you for circling back. Yes, it's <laughs> like going back to the questions like, okay, what did I not include yet? So go ahead. No worries. So a couple things that I think are really helpful, and a lot of these things you can do throughout your child's development. So whether you're, you have a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old, wherever they are, One is to use accurate names for body parts. So I think a lot of people have heard this, but for those who haven't, you know, a lot of times people grow up and they have certain pet names or nicknames for certain body parts, specifically genitalia. And that can be really damaging for children, especially if something were to occur where the child is having some kind of medical issue or pain in a certain area and they're calling it the wrong name and their doctor or medical provider doesn't know what they're talking about. You know, it's really important to be able to use accurate names for body parts. And it just takes out any shame in having these conversations. I know this is the Shameless Moms Academy. So, you know, (laughs) I thought I would just recognize that, you know, when we are calling a vulva a vulva and not a cookie, right, it really is making it a lot more clear for everyone what we're talking about. And also, there is something called a cookie. It's crunchy. It has chocolate chips sometimes, you know, like, you don't want to confuse people. So I think being able to use accurate names is really important. So that's one thing that some folks can do. And others are would include really embracing children's curiosity about sexuality or their interest in sexuality. So we know one of the biggest things that comes up when I teach about sexuality across the lifespan is that a lot of people mistake children's interest and curiosity about sexuality to think that they're experiencing sex in like a sexualizing way. They'll see this and think, oh, my child is like into some sort of erotic thing before they're too young. What do I do? And they start to panic. And the problem with that is one, children most often are not experiencing an interest in sexuality because it's coming from this erotic place. It's coming from this curious place. It's coming from them trying to understand the world around them. And this being something that they're seeing in their lives in some way or hearing about. And so it's really, we need to recognize that sometimes as adults, our framework that we use is this one of eroticism or within our relationship to sex, whatever that may be, and not from this place of 
oh my, it's developmentally appropriate for my child to be wondering, you know, what if a child's, or, you know, why do people love multiple people or how do, how do I enter into a relationship or, you know, how is a baby born? These are developmentally appropriate questions for children to have. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give an example of something that happened just it was yesterday, the day before. My son and I were walking the dog and we were just about back to our house. And like I said, I'm in Seattle. Our houses are close together, like totally packed a little neighborhood. And we're walking, we're just a couple doors from our house. And my son is like, mom, tell me the story about when I was born and I came out of your belly. And I was like, oh, oh my God. And he, he's screaming as like eight-year-olds walking the dog. He's screaming as we're walking down the street. And I'm like, well you didn't come out of my belly. Where did I come out of? And I'm like, am I doing this right here? Like <laughs> with people out walking their dogs right around us. And then I, so I kind of just like put them up. But then we got home. I'm like, or as we were approached, got closer to our house, I was like, well, you didn't come. Babies don't come out of bellies. And then, well, where do they come out of? Like, <laughs> so then we got into this whole conversation about the birth canal. And, and by the time we got to using anatomy around like vagina and things like that he was like okay like I need to go play Legos now (laughs) (laughs) yep and so it was super interesting that I was like oh my god this is gonna like terrorize him (laughs) and he was like cool got it bye (laughs) so it's so interesting that so much of the stuff is our stuff that we're like oh this is gonna be really loaded and weird and then you do it and you have the conversation and you keep it really a matter of fact and they're like yeah bye (laughs) thanks Yep, exactly. That's so funny that you say that because I think that that is something that shows up a lot with the caregivers I work with. And it's, you know, okay, the baby comes out of the uterus. Okay, great. What's a uterus? You know, you say it and they're like, all right, cool. Like I got my answer. (laughs) For a lot of them, that's the way that it, it tends to go. So. Right. Yeah. And even using that word, like when I was like, well, you're not actually in my stomach. There's this thing called a uterus. Even that he was like, now I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I went from like uterus to birth canal. And then, and he was like, oh my, is how much more of the story, mom? <laughs> <laughs> well, he asked, right? And so like, I'm glad that you gave him the answer that, you know, he needed to hear. And yep. he can always come back to it if he needs more details later. <laughs> yeah. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Nutrafol. Did you know that hair thinning will happen to approximately one in two women? If you're among them, you are not alone. Thinning hair is normal, but it's not openly talked about, so it can feel lonely and frustrating and sometimes even embarrassing when you're going through it yourself. Join the over one million people who are doing something about their thinning hair with Nutrafol. 
Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Oh my gosh, I am a heavy shedder. So if you are a heavy shedder or if you are someone who's wanting to thicken your hair, I definitely want you to try out Nutrafol. I have loved using it myself and I know multiple other people who've used it and have found great results. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. To get started, you can take their hair quiz on Nutrafol.com, which will give you a personalized health plan based on your special root causes. Nutrafol is committed to helping you identify root causes of any shedding or hair loss so that you can really start to rebuild healthy hair in a way that is customized to you. So take the first steps to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code SHAMELESS. Find out why 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Go to Nutrafol.com. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SHAMELESS. Nutrafol.com, code SHAMELESS. But it is amazing because we've had other like conversations around things like this where I always am like, by the time I get to the answer kind of or tell, give it a, you know explanation, he's kind of over the whole thing. And it's never as awkward as I think it's going to be, or it's never, it's typically like not awkward at all because I just, it's all this neutral conversation, but it's amazing to me what he remembers and what he'll like integrate into a later conversation. And we've had a lot of that around gender identity and gender expression. And we've had a lot of that around um, even last year when he was in the first grade, there was a conversation in class around different colors that, and I can't remember what he had taken to school. He had taken something to school. Oh, well, he had taken a pink Wonder Woman water bottle to school. And someone had said something about like, oh, you have a girl's water bottle. And it was like, this big, huge thing. My son was so upset about it. He's like, there's no such thing as girls' water bottles. So it's amazing the things that they remember because we had talked forever about like boys like pink and girls like pink and anyone who wants to like pink can like pink and whatever. And so it's been interesting how much of that he's integrated over time just through like simple little conversations. Yeah, no, that's, it reminds me of, there's an amazing video on YouTube. I can't remember the name of it. It's a young child in, I think, a big toy store and asking their parent, why do all these toys have to be girls' toys and these toys have to be boys' toys? And they're probably like three years old, so it's really cute and endearing. But the reality is like, you know, a lot of this is is marketing and we come from a place that has sold us on sexuality being binary. And the reality is that that's not true. That was something that was, you know, really woven into us with colonialism and other things. So, really important to talk about the variety of colors that we can like as children and toys we can play with and other things like that too. Right, right. And even into your point around things being binary and even in the ways that I've talked about this and I've been working on trying to evolve this around like, even for me to say, well, pink isn't a boy color or a girl color. Boys can like pink and girls can like pink. And then to, to say, instead of that, just all children can like pink. Yes. And not even categorize it as there only being two options or two genders, you know, um, and that's newer on my inclusivity around language like that is newer on my radar. But I think that's another like those little tiny nuanced things really add up in the long run. And I think really help our kids formulate powerful ways to talk about this and appropriate ways to talk about this and inclusive ways to talk about it all. Yeah, yeah. In When I was in educator school, as I call it, we were talking a lot about the language that we use to address groups. And a common one is people will say, okay, you guys, right? And that for some people, that's not going to be something that is really going to be on their radar. But for some people, it is really offensive and it's really exclusive. So thinking, I mean, I used to live in the South for a little bit. So sometimes I say y'all or, you know, hey, friends or hey, everybody, right? There are other ways of talking to a group that don't have to refer to this binary. So no more ladies and gentlemen, no more boys and girls, let's class, friends, you know, family members. Yeah, we use friends a lot. Yeah, friend, my we use that with my son a lot. And then I use you. I'll use all like you all because I feel like I don't feel like I've earned y'all. Like I want to earn it, but I haven't earned it because I've lived yeah. in Seattle my whole life. <laughs> you all work so. perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I find myself even in texting, like texting 
a family or like an example would be like texting a mom and a dad of my son's friend to say, are you all available for a play date versus like, hey, are you guys around this weekend? I'll say, hey, are you all around this weekend? Just trying to get myself out of that, you guys, which is so ingrained. But yeah, I'm like, someday I'll embrace (laughs) y'all because I like it better. I just don't feel like I've earned it. (laughs) Well, I'll give you permission, but I'm also someone who, again, I grew up in Chicago. So I I just lived in the South for a period of time. So maybe I haven't even earned y'all. So who knows? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there's qualifications (laughs) around it or not. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about shaming and sex negative messaging. I think this is really, really fascinating and so important for us to recognize. Like I said, growing up, you know, in the 70s and where there was a lot of suppression around being, and I should also say, being educated around sex in a Catholic school in the 80s, which was a progressive school. And we, there wasn't a lot of shame based education. It was very neutral education, but it's still just different than, you know, emphasis on sex positivity. So let's talk a little bit about examples that you see around shaming and sex negative messaging that are still happening and how can these be harmful? So one of the things that I hear often, especially from my clients and people that I work with who have vulvas are responses to self-pleasuring and masturbation. So children at a young age, you know, maybe two, three, four years old might begin touching themselves in their genital area for a sense of sort of self-soothing. It's not really seen, we know it's not quite the same as sexual gratification as we know self-pleasuring masturbation to be when folks are older. But one of the things that can really evoke a lot of shame in response to sexuality is really how people respond to self-pleasuring. So whether, you know, saying something is dirty or wrong or don't do that or, you know, something, even tone of voice around what is said makes a difference that really can enforce a message you know, I shouldn't be touching my body in this way or, you know, and then when that person grows up and gets older, they may have some difficulty around being able to touch their bodies in that way. And self-pleasuring could feel like it's something they feel afraid to do. They feel really anxious around. And in terms of like sexual implications, we know that understanding what feels good in one's body is really correlated with one's experience of pleasure and sex with partners. So, you know, not having been able to self-pleasure or feeling like there are blocks there because of shaming messages can really cause some difficulty for folks as adults, sexually speaking. So that's a big one that I see a lot often in my practice. That's a great example. And I think that's, yeah, a really, really important one. Can you give some examples of how parents might enter into a conversation around that, mm-hmm. as specifically around self-pleasuring and masturbation? Yeah. So talking about how self-pleasure and masturbation are normal parts of of one's sexual lives that, you know, there often, there are a lot of reasons why somebody might self-pleasure. For a lot of people, it's because it feels good. For some people, it's a release, again, self-soothing, and just emphasizing that it's something that, again, is really normal and healthy, but something that is done in privacy of your own home. So this is also where we see intersectional conversations between self-pleasure and we're also talking about privacy. So you know, things like that. And using really modeling with like a calm, you know, warm tone is important because again, kids are going to pick up on, if you feel uncomfortable, they're going to pick up on it and then they might feel uncomfortable. So I always just recommend practicing with your adult friends before you go to children, if that's you. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a great example. I love that you brought up the intersection of conversations around pleasure and privacy, like being able to take advantage of all both of those at one time and create clarity around all of that at one time. And I also so appreciate the tone of voice piece because I think this is where we have to check ourselves a little bit because if we have discomfort even if we're saying the right words, the tone can come across the wrong way. And so really focusing on like, I love that you said of like warm tone, because I'd think of like neutral versus yeah, not versus, you know, negative or like kind of leaning into like that uncomfortable place to keep it really neutral. And it's amazing how receptive kids are to warm and neutral tones. 
Yeah. Well, and pleasure is something that we want to be positive about, right? Like people don't go into somebody's birthday party being like, no, I don't want to be here. Like they're like, yeah, it's your birthday. We're going to have cake, right? Like we elevate our voice and we use vocal tone to help emphasize that. And we also do that with our body language. So, you know, even like kind of slouching or drawing away or feeling like our facial expressions, those can play a role too. So I just think if this is something that you're feeling nervous about as a parent or caregiver, I would always, I think the mirror is a really great tool for self-reflection. And I mean that in both like the literal sense and metaphorically, you know, you can really get a sense of, okay, if you say this sentence out loud, self-pleasure is something that's positive. Self-pleasure is something that's normal and healthy. And just like watching your body language in the mirror, that can be a really helpful tool as well if you have a mirror at home. Oh my gosh, I love that you brought up watching yourself because I've, something I've learned as a speaker mm-hmm. is being on Zoom and using Marco Polo where I see myself on video all the time. Like there's times where I'm like, okay, enough. Like I'm done seeing myself on video. Yeah. But it is an amazing tool for practicing tone, practicing body language, like all these things, which it can sound so egotistical, because, but we are fully watching ourselves when we use those as tools. Mm-hmm. And we are considering like, okay, how is this coming across to someone else? And so I, that's a great suggestion and great example. Yeah. And I think it just sparks self-awareness, right? And it's not something mm-hmm. we have to do you know, every minute of every day, right? So I think so, you know, having too much emphasis on ourselves, that's where I think a lot of Zoom fatigue is happening, right? Always seeing yourself and then it sparks some sort of self-criticism or, you know, as my, why is my eyelid bending this way or whatever is going on, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, those, I think we just in moderation, being mindful of when you're going to try and, and practice in the mirror and not having to be the perfect parent. We don't have to do this perfectly, right? But you want to really use your intention to try and do this the best you can, but it doesn't have to be perfect. So I would just like set some healthier expectations or achievable expectations for yourself too. Yeah, absolutely. What can caregivers do if they have had a self sex negative upbringing, but want to create a sex positive home for their children? Yeah. So I think the first thing is that recognizing that you have the power to disrupt these intergenerational narratives about sexuality. There's a lot of resources out there that speak to how to be a sex positive parent or caregiver and how to create sex positive experiences in your home. And I would encourage you to, if this is you, to really educate yourself about what this means, right? So you're, if you're already listening to this podcast and, you know, you already checked a box, that's awesome. And, you know, I, there's a lot of other suggested literature that I can recommend and we have a resource list on our website as well. But I think really being able to educate yourself and also give yourself that permission that just because you had this sex negative upbringing or you had these messages be present for you doesn't mean that you have to do things in the same way. In fact, it will actually probably be much more helpful if you recognize, okay, this is what was given to me. I'm going to keep what resonates and I'm going to discard the rest. And then, you know, if see if what resonates is also something that feels aligned with your values and being positive, if that's a goal for you. I love that because I also think that that has the potential to give someone permission to have a little more power over their past and how they want to move forward. And I think that can be exactly. a gift to like have some recognition around like, oh, this is how I was raised or this is a situation that I was in that, you know, brought on shame or something negative and to be able to have awareness around that and recognize, oh, that's not what we want to create in our household versus kind of just blindly fumbling through it and not really able to being able to kind of own where you've come from and then honor where you want to go. Yeah. And that self-awareness of understanding where you've come from and these, again, intergenerational messages or narratives, and then really deciding, okay, this is what I want to continue to teach my children. And this is what I don't. That is a really powerful experience. And I, it's something that comes up a lot in my work as a clinician, because there's so much trauma that people will hold and experience. And it really makes you a better caregiver to know if you've done the work to say, okay, I really didn't like that there was a lot of yelling in my household. So I'm going to really work to change that as a caregiver now with my children. And that's just an example, but anything goes related to, to whether it be 
trauma or any kind of narratives about sexuality, I think it's really important and it'll make you a better caregiver to recognize that and use and really choose to disrupt things that don't feel good to you. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, this has been so good, Jennifer. Okay, so how are you currently showing up shamelessly? Yeah, so a couple things. I work with a lot of parents, as I mentioned, and I think one of the things that is really big in my work is helping people show up honestly, whether it be about what they want in their lives, from their partner in their sex lives, or being more transparent with the people that they are in relationships with, as well as being transparent with children about relationships and sexuality in a developmentally appropriate way, of course, and really helping them understand the, the things that they need to understand so that they can grow up and become sexually healthy adults. And so those are the ways I like to help show up as a shameless mom. I love it. Okay. And then tell people where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? Tell them about the course and all of the goodies that you have in your course. So your course is, I don't even think we mentioned it by name, but it's Building Ease, talking about the birds and the bees. So tell us about that. Yeah. So the Building Ease course is a online digital course that has six lessons. Each lesson is focused on a different topic. So some of the stuff related to sex positivity, you'll find in the beginning of it, we also talk about consent and boundaries and communication. We talk about gender and sexual diversity. There's a lesson on internet safety and pornography, which is a big topic. And we talk about sexual behaviors and there's a lot of conversation starters about, okay, here's this topic. Now, how do I say this? What do I say? And it's broken down based off of developmental stage. So again, how we've talked about, you know, so for some topics for children who are in grades one to three or three to five, six to eight, nine to 10, et cetera, we will talk about, okay, so if your child is in high school and then they're going to be learning about X, Y, and Z, and this would be the way that you would describe what the sexual behavior is here. And for somebody who is in middle school, you'd want to use this definition. So we talk about a lot in there, but there's six lessons. Each lesson's about half an hour worth of content. There's a lot of recorded videos, activities, worksheets. There's a couple quizzes in there. We have the building ease glossary, which is our glossary of terms. And with the course, caregivers get access to what's called the building ease community, which is an online private forum that I moderate where they can ask questions, engage with other caregivers, share success stories and more. And so that's the course. It's the best way to access it is at buildingease.embracesexualwellness.com and we can give you the link for that and we'd love to give any listeners a promo code to access it so they can use shameless mom to get 20% off of course thank you i'm going to note all that okay so if people go to shamelessmom.com click on the episode with jennifer littner and then we'll have everything linked up there including the link to the course plus the promo code and you said promo code shameless mom are you going to do that as all one word Yes, all one word. Okay. And I'll provide a link for you to include as well there. Okay. So we'll have all that. Something that you just brought up that we didn't touch on, but I think is so important, and this alone would be worth buying the course, is pornography. I think that this is something that is like evolved tremendously, obviously, because the internet is constantly evolving. Mm -hmm. But there's just, there's a lot of conversations on my son's only eight, but I'm just seeing an evolution in conversations with of parents of older children around what's healthy, what's not, what's appropriate, what's not like all sorts of things. And that we could do a whole episode or more just on that alone. So that's a really, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I want people to go and get the course just for that and everything else that we <laughs> touched on and that you just shared. So thank you so much for all of that. Thank you for being here. This has been really helpful, really informative. I appreciate you answering my super specific questions. <laughs> and I know that this is going to really benefit and support other families. And so I'm just really, really grateful. Of course. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been lovely chatting with you. And we also have other resources available on our website. So if folks are interested in signing up for a newsletter or learning more about where to contact us, embracesexualwellness.com is a good spot to go. Perfect. Yes. And we'll link that up as well. And we'll link you up. We have you on social media. It looks like across social media, you're on Embrace Sexual Wellness. Yes. Yeah. Um, on Instagram and Facebook. Okay, cool. We'll link it all in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. This has been amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. 
Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.